The number is one 990 9646 Email anytime is help at As always, we'll uh, plow through a bunch of emails today, get your questions answered. In the meantime, you want to check out a, a very interesting tool that Savannah and the firm put together. You want to check out the pain and suffering component of a claim. It is injurycalculator.ca. I know James will expand on that and possibly refer to it several times during the show today. James, uh, welcome back, brother. We always start with the, uh, the week that was. What do you have going on? Very interesting week last week. Okay. So we talk a lot on the show from time to time about social media and how social media posts will impact on legal claims. And I had a very interesting case last week that really illustrates uh, the perils of social media when you are involved in legal proceedings. I like this already. I had an examination. Actually, it was examinations. My client was being examined, and I was examining the driver of the car that rear-ended my lady on the highway. Okay. So this was a fairly high-speed collision. It was you know single-lane highway in each direction, and my lady was making a left-hand turn and came to a full stop to make it and got plowed from behind by this other by this other driver. It's not as though I was terribly concerned about liability in this case. It seemed pretty clear in right. any case that the defendant was going to be responsible. Having said that, I had an awful lot of help when I was examining the defendant. What happened is this lady, the defendant driver, had gone on Facebook the day after the accident, one day later, and posted pictures of the damage to the front end of her car, which was pretty extensive. Okay. Now, those pictures I had anyway, sure. so that wasn't a big surprise. Okay. Now, uh, up to this point, she's claiming something else, obviously not at fault or diminished fault or something, right? I'll put it this way. There hadn't been an admission of liability. Gotcha. Okay. Um, at least for the purposes of the, law, uh, of the legal claim at that point mm -hmm. in time, they were still maintaining that she wasn't at fault. So... I get this Facebook post that the defendant had posted the day after, and she says, and I quote, so this was yesterday's excitement. It was all my fault. <laughs> it goes on. 80 kilometers per hour, no braking. Yikes. Oh, my God. And then she goes on to say the only thing she's looking to see is whether her car is going to be written off. So uh, needless to say, it, it was not a very difficult examination, um, and I don't expect that there's going to be any uh, real argument from the defense about liability going forward, who's responsible for this accident. It's, it was pretty clear before, and now it's quite obvious. In any case, I bring this up as an illustration of why social media can be fairly dangerous if you're involved in a legal claim. Now, that's, you know, for the defendant's purposes, pretty obvious. For, you know, if you are bringing your own claim, if you've been injured in an accident, it can still be damaging if you're going on social media. Because what a lot of people will do is, you know, your Facebook post tends to be the best of your life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the best things that are going on, and we're all aware of that. If you take a look at someone's Facebook page, you're going to get a distorted view of their life. They're going to just be showing the good parts. And so you can be injured. You can be significantly injured. And that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be good moments in your life, moments where you're having fun, where you're enjoying whatever activity it is that you're doing, mm -hmm. the people around you. You may well be smiling. You may even be laughing. Someone else took the pig. That's right. Know. It does not mean that you're not okay. If you're you know, not feeling terribly well and you're amongst your family and someone says, smile, what do you do? Right. You know, you're not going to be obstinate and you know continue to frown. You'll put a smile on for the picture. That doesn't mean that you're okay, but it means that there's a picture now on social media of you smiling. All of this is to say, you know, I'm not telling people that they can't use social media. Uh, it's a fact of life. It's, you know, part of the fabric of our lives these days. And so if you want to be on social media, fine. 
but be careful about what you're putting out there. Uh, make sure that you exercise as much of the privacy controls as you're comfortable doing. I would err on the side of caution. One thing I always recommend to my clients is that they should put the, the they should include the option where anyone who wants to post on their wall, they have to approve of the post yeah. before before it's made uh, public on their wall. 100%. And for the, for that matter, you know, you shouldn't have a public wall. It should be private just to your friends. Um, so I, I think it's important that people understand that people can have social media even if they're involved in a legal claim, but you have to be careful. You really have to be careful. You know, it's one thing if, you know, you, you're in a, you know, a cast from the waist down and you're, you're holding a beer with buddies smiling. I mean, that's one thing, but all my fault. 80 kilometers, no brakes, sweetheart. What are you doing? Well, listen, that's a unicorn. You know, we 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 dream about you know like things like that as as lawyers, and you rarely, if ever, see something like that. So, needless to say, I was quite pleased to make that discovery, um, and you know, it, it made things quite easy from my end. Her lawyer's like, oh god, I hate this job. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say to that? I mean, that's you know, it, it's, it's a gift, but there's nothing to say to right? that. <laughs> There's nothing to say. There's no argument that you're making against that. Um, one more thing, if yep. I if I have a moment or two. So after last week's show, I got an email from our good friend Terry Corcoran, uh, and Love he Terry. was he was just responding to my advice about uh, making sure anytime you're dealing with an adjuster, particularly on disability claims, that you send an email summarizing everything uh, that has been discussed, and that ensures that you have evidence of that going forward. And Terry added, he you know he he certainly agrees with that advice, but he made a suggestion that I hadn't thought of, but it's a very good suggestion, and that is that when you're doing that, whenever you're communicating with your adjuster, you should include a request for a read receipt, which requires the the person who receives the email to to either send a to click a box and send a receipt, or to click a box and deny sending a receipt. But even if they don't send the this read receipt that shows you mm-hmm. that the adjuster has seen the email, there is a record of that that would be kept on the server. Brilliant. So if down the road they ever claim, oh, I never got this email, there's a record of it that you can access if you need to. So it's not likely there's ever going to be any dispute about whether or not it was sent, which is a really good tip, and I appreciate that, Terry. Thank you. Terry's, uh, of course, been on the show several times. and got, what, 35 years in the insurance industry before he retired, so he kind of knows what he's talking about, right? Just a little bit, yeah. and we certainly always appreciate his input. The uh, number is one 990 help at the Just getting warmed up here with James. Lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show is on the way. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The number, one 990 Get a hold of Savan or James. James at the firm, member of the team as well. You can use that number. You can email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca for emails. And want to get to one right away. Bunch to get through uh, over the course of the uh, the remainder of the hour. I was cut off, says David, long-term disability a few weeks ago and talked to a lawyer who said uh, that it would take at least a few years to settle my case. Does it take that long? My doctors have told me that I can't go back to work any uh, because of degenerative back condition. That's why I can't go back. I'm 52 years old. The easy answer is it shouldn't take that long. Occasionally it will. But if I'm meeting with a client who has a disability claim, um, certainly there's no reason to to suggest that it will take a few years. Um, Typically speaking, I find that within a year I can get to a mediation, sometimes maybe 14 months, um, sometimes less than a year, but typically it's around a year from the time I see my client until the time I can get to a mediation, which is typically your best opportunity to resolve your claim. 
having said that, it doesn't mean because you're at the mediation that you're going to resolve it. And if it doesn't resolve, then it can take longer. And on occasion, it can take up to two, three years at the outside. Uh, but you know, would I suggest that that's how long it's likely going to take? Absolutely not. And if the lawyer is suggesting that from the outset, it suggests to me that he's running his, his practice in a way that isn't built to ensure speedy resolution. What we do when we get a claim, we immediately ask for the file, we ask for the policy, and as soon as we get that, we issue the claim as long as obviously there's a good basis to do so. So that's usually within a month or two of having met with our client. And then we immediately ask the the uh, insurer for a mediation mm -hmm. at their earliest convenience. Far more often than not, they're willing to mediate early in the litigation, which means within a year, as I was just saying. So yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't ever tell a client that's likely going to take a couple of years. That does not make sense. It suggests to me that they're waiting until the two year limitation is almost up to issue their claims, which makes no sense. The longer you wait to issue a claim the longer it's going to take for you to get a resolution. So, I think sometimes, I mean, this wouldn't apply to David, but I know you and Savannah have talked to him as well because David's 52, but sometimes you wait if the person is a child or in their youth, right, because you're waiting for the body to heal more than anything. Is that the reason why? Well, I, you know, I, I think on occasion that will be the case. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly if you're talking about a disability claim and uh, that, that's what David had written to us about, um, you know, you're not really talking about children because obviously, you know, to have a disability claim, uh, you need to be working. Right. But uh, if you're talking about an injury claim, there are situations where you might want to wait to see how the injury develops, especially if it's out of a motor vehicle claim, because the motor vehicle claims have additional legislation that applies and make things a little bit more complicated. Right. But even then, I'm still very, very rarely waiting until the end of you know, the two-year limitation period to issue a claim. I, I can't think of a time I've ever done wow. it, quite frankly. I mean, sometimes you want to wait six months sure. to see if there is any permanence to the injury, which is required for a motor vehicle claim. But you know, it's unusual that you would wait much more than that. There'd be no reason to. one 9646 the number, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't checked it out yet, find out what the pain and suffering component of a claim should be. That is easy, injurycalculator.ca as well. Another email here, this one from Manny, says, uh, I was in a car crash last April when another car side-swiped us and uh, went into a ditch. I still have problems working because of surgery I had to have uh, from this accident. I'm getting long-term disability and was wondering if I should start a legal claim against the other driver. Will that affect my LTD payments? Should I do it? Absolutely. Right. Um, you know, Whenever you've been in a motor vehicle accident or you've suffered an injury as a result of somebody else's negligence, you certainly want to look into bringing a claim. And if you're able to, if you have a legitimate basis to do it, and you know, in a car accident, it's usually pretty easy to determine whether you're going to be able to bring a claim. Um, you're going to be opening up far more avenues of recovery than if you just have a long-term disability policy. If you have an LTD policy, you're going to be entitled to whatever it says under that under that contract, under the insurance contract. So that's usually going to be something in the range of 60 to 70 percent of your uh, of your earnings right. that you were making at the time you became injured. If you have the ability to also bring a legal claim against a person who's at fault, that opens up claims for your medical and rehabilitative uh, treatment. It opens up claims for anything you're out of pocket for. Um, if you have a pension loss, you can claim for that too. Um, and there are other things that you can claim for as well. So certainly you want to make sure that you do that. And it's always better to have 
more people at the table when you're trying to resolve your claim. You have more pockets that are there to right. pay out. You're going to get paid more. It's as simple as that. Injurycalculator.ca, before we break out a couple minutes, give me some details about it. Sure. So this is a really useful tool if you have been injured and you're curious what the value of your claim might be. Now, when I say the value of your claim, what I'm really talking about here is your pain and suffering. The value of any claim is going to vary widely based on someone's loss of income. That's not what we're talking about right now. You know what your income is, and mm -hmm. if you're not earning your income, you can have a pretty good idea just based on that, what that portion of your claim is going to be worth. But your pain and suffering, how do you figure out what that's right. going to be? Um, there really isn't you know, a chart that you can look at that says, you know, your a leg injury is worth this, and you know an arm injury is worth that, and a head injury is worth something else. There's no chart really like that that exists. The way that we determine the value or the way that we estimate the value of any claim for pain and suffering is we take a look at all of the relevant factors that the court uses to make that determination and we compare it to other cases that have been decided that had similar similar issues. So what you do is you go to injurycalculator.ca and you're going to be asked a series of questions. It'll take you less than one minute to put the information in. So things like your age, how the accident happened, and obviously most significantly, what your injuries are. In less than a minute, you're going to get an estimate that gives you the range that you can expect to get for the pain and suffering component of your claim. Based on? Based on what other cases with similar issues have decided cool. have been decided in the past. And it's very straightforward. It's anonymous as long as you want it to be. If after seeing that you want to talk to somebody, there's an option, you hit a button and it'll send the information with your email and you can get a free consultation. If you don't want that, that's perfectly fine. You can just go and get the information and no one knows that you were there. Injurycalculator.ca is the address. The number to call in, by the way, is one 990 to get in touch with uh, James or Savannah or another member of the team. When the show is not on, and emails, we'll get to more of those after a short break as well. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646 is the number. It is help at the insurancelawyer.ca. If you haven't checked it out, go to mydisabilityquestions.com. You can ask your questions there. Leave it for Savannah or James. There's a drop-down menu. There's a good chance that your question over the last several years has been asked and answered in depth. So check it out again, mydisabilityquestions.com. So what happens if you're uh, you're injured in a car accident, can't work, and then your LTD disability insurer cuts you off your payments? This happens all the time. Uh, do you have recourse? What is it? How do you help someone like that? Very straightforward. Um, in terms of what you do about the cutting off of your long-term disability yep. payments, you bring a legal claim against the insurance company that's supposed to be paying this out. Um, you, you Certainly, if you've been in a car accident, you may well have a claim against the driver, the other driver who uh, was at fault in the accident. Um, whether or not the your own insurance company has cut you off doesn't necessarily matter in terms of that claim other than you're not able to double recover. So what I mean by that is if you are getting long-term disability insurance, that is replacing that portion of your income. And so you can't then also get that portion oh. of your income from the at-fault driver. But if you're not getting your disability payments and you were looking to resolve your uh, motor vehicle claim, you would be able to recover that from, from the insurance company that is providing the policy to the other driver. So it, it's pretty straightforward. You get cut off your long-term disability, whether you're in a car accident or mm -hmm. whether you're not. It um, doesn't matter. You look at bringing a claim against the insurer, and as long as there is a good basis to do so, then that's what we do. You give us a call. We'll get a copy of your file, and we'll issue a claim. 
one 990 is that number. And the email address is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Jennifer, next up, says my best friend was denied long-term disability and went to a lawyer who's appealing the denial. He's appealed five times now, and she was denied every time. He says that she doesn't have many options left. I listened to the show, so this doesn't make any sense to me. Why is he telling her to appeal? Shouldn't she just start a legal claim? Not every lawyer that takes on a disability case knows what they're doing. It's as simple as that. Jennifer, if you, know, if you are a listener to, to our show, then you certainly know what's coming here. Yep. The answer is very straightforward. Don't appeal. There's no point in it. And I can't tell you why her lawyer is appealing other than he probably doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, I, I hate to say that, but, you know, lawyers are like anyone else. There are some that know what they're doing and some that don't. And if you have a lawyer that doesn't know what they're doing and they're handling a disability claim, they'll see the appeal the same way you might if you didn't know, if you weren't a listener to our show. And you might think of that as being a great option. Oh, look, I still have a chance. No, it's not. We talk about this all the time on the show. The appeal is an internal process. Your insurance company, who has already cut you off, is saying to you, oh, but that's okay, we've cut you off, but we'll give you an opportunity to you know, maybe get your benefits reinstated. Just send us any more information and we'll reconsider it. They're not going to reconsider it. I mean, they'll go through the motions and they'll tell you that they are and they'll check the, bo- the boxes and dot their I's and cross their T's, yeah. but at the end of the day, they're not changing their decision. They'll give you as many appeals as you want, five times here. I'd be pretty concerned here, though, Jennifer, because yeah. if your friend has gone through five appeals, that takes some time. You know, the appeals don't happen over the course of a week or two. Typically, they're taking a month, two, three months sometimes. And if she's appealed it five times, she's mm-hmm. got to be pretty close to two years from the date of the initial denial. Cutoff period. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. really, really important. The date they initially cut off or deny the claim is the date the clock starts to run, and you have to be aware of that. You have two years from that date, when it, whatever it is, you have two years from that date to bring a legal claim. Doesn't ma- The appeal doesn't matter. It doesn't appeal- reset the clock. Five appeals makes no difference. The right. clock is still running from the date of the first time Jeez. she was cut off. And if it goes beyond two years, you're no longer able to bring a legal claim. So your friend is going to be shut out if it goes beyond two years. Talk to your friend, Jennifer, and make sure that her lawyer is aware of that um, and that you know a claim is brought within the two-year period. Um, and by all means, have her give us a call, and we're happy to take a look at it. one 990 is that number, by the way, Jennifer. That's, that's got to be such a bonus for insurance companies when they just keep going, oh, appeal, yeah, appeal, appeal, Ooh, close to two years. They probably save a bag of dough doing that. Oh, for sure. And right. you know, if they get over those two years, um, that's huge money for them. And most people don't know. Yeah. Most people don't know. It's sad to say, but, you know, they take advantage of a lack of knowledge and that, you know, will save them a ton of money. Going through the appeal process costs them virtually nothing. Do insurance companies generally treat claims differently depending on whether or whether or not there's a lawyer involved? I mean, does it matter to them even who the lawyer is? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I certainly know this from having done defense work for a few years, and Savon will tell you the exact same thing. When you get a file as a defense lawyer, one of the first things you do is report to your insurance client okay. and talk about all aspects of the claim. So they're going to report to their you know, the insurance company when they get it, uh, get the claim. They're going to assess not just whether the the claim itself is legitimate. In other words, whether there's a good basis okay. to uh, for the for the person to have challenged their decision. 
They're also going to take a look at who they have as a lawyer. And that matters because that's going to tell them how the case is likely to go. So they want to know whether the lawyer who has the case is someone who is willing to take a claim to trial. That doesn't mean that they're going to push everything to trial without thinking about it, but they want to know, is that lawyer, do they have the fortitude to take it all the way if the insurance company is going to be unreasonable? And if the lawyer has a reputation of, be, of being willing to go to trial when the defendant is not paying a reasonable amount, that changes the way that you assess a claim on the defense side. You know that you can't lowball a claim or you're going to wow. have to defend it in court and then you don't have any say in what the decision is. So that really matters. And then certainly the competence of the lawyer on the plaintiff side mm-hmm. matters. You know, Even if you're willing to take anything to trial, if you don't know what you're doing, that's not really going to add to the value that the defense is going to assess your claim at. But if they know that the the other side has a lawyer that is experienced and understands all of the issues in disability claims, um, then they're certainly going to work that into their assessment. And when it comes time to settling, that's going to be really important because if they have initially assessed the claim as being very low, whether it's because um, they think the lawyer won't go to trial or they don't think the lawyer knows what they're doing, there's not going to be any money there to pay out the claim. But if they have assessed it initially as being um, you know, significantly greater on the higher end of what the claim might be worth, then that money is going to be there on the table at the end of the day. And that's really important. That's, that's history of the law office. So if, you know, same claim, same person, and you got, you know, San Firu Tamarkin Law Firm as opposed to, you know, the Barney Rubble Law Firm. I mean, you know what I mean? There's no such thing as the same claim. They're totally different claims yeah. if they're coming from, from awesome. different firms. Absolutely. We'll take a short break. It's one 9646 the number. And right back to your emails, that is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The number anytime, one 9646 Write it down. Keep it with you. The email address as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That will put you in touch with James or Savannah when you have questions or concerns. Lou writes in, says, uh, love your show. Wish I had started listening earlier because I had a long-term disability claim a few years back that another lawyer handled, and it did not go well. Then a friend of mine had a similar issue, and I told him to contact you, and you guys resolved the case in just a few months. I couldn't believe it. Just wanted to ask why my case took four and a half years, and his just took a few months. I mean, I I don't want to rush to judgment here because four and a half years is so far beyond what I would normally (laughs) expect that I have to assume that there was some particular issue that complicated your case. That's long, That's really long. There has to be something there that made this drag on to that extent. Um, Even a case that doesn't go as quickly as I would like is at the outset going to take two, three years. So four and a half years for a disability claim, I don't understand that. I'm not even sure how that's possible in the course of normal litigation without a significant complicating factor. So I'm really going to hesitate to comment other than to say it should not take that long. Um, And it certainly has never been my experience that a long-term disability case is going to take anywhere close to that amount of time. Again, that number, use it, one 9646 Fiona says, uh, my husband has been on long-term disability for 18 months, and the adjuster is telling him to start a return-to-work program. Uh, he doesn't feel at all ready, and his doctor doesn't think he should do uh, exactly that just yet. What do we do? Fiona, thanks for writing in. This is a very important issue. 
if you have a doctor that's telling you something, you got to listen to that doctor. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change just because you have a legal claim, just because you have an ongoing, uh, you know, disability claim with your insurer. You know, whatever they tell you does not supersede what your doctor says. They are not more important than your doctor. Your doctor is the one that you are relying on or that your husband's relying on um, that has medical expertise, that knows your husband's history, and this is a person whose advice you have to take. If you don't, then you know, you're going to be in all kinds of trouble, both medically and, frankly, legally as well. It can really come back to bite you legally if you don't listen to what your doctor has to say. So I would listen to your doctor first and foremost. Now, does that mean that you might have an issue with your insurance company? Yes, it does. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, if, you're, if your insurance company is telling you to go back to work despite what your doctor says, and let's, say, let's assume that your doctor is right because he probably is, and you go back to work too early, well, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. You're going to go, you try and go back to work. You're not going to be successful. And then guess what? Your insurance company isn't going to say, oh, well, thank you. At least you tried. No, they've already taken the position that you can go back to work, that you should go back to work. And so you shouldn't expect them to be reasonable after the fact either. They're still going to cut you off. If that if that's what they've decided they're going to do, it's not going to change it if you go back and you're unsuccessful. So the reality is you're going to be better off if you listen to your doctor one way or the other. And if your doctor has clearly said you can't go back to work, or they've told Fiona's husband that he can't go back to work, then you can't go back to work. That is absolutely a basis to challenge the insurance company's position that he should. And if something were to happen, you know, if he were were to go back to work and something were to happen, you know, that's you know bad on all levels. You know, it creates a situation where you're you're adding an additional claim to uh, you know any claim against the insurer that they've caused this and it complicates things significantly. If you're listening to your doctor's advice, his health is going to be in the best possible position going forward, and he's going to have a strong claim because he has that to rely on. Isn't generally the doctor's word trumps all? If they say you cannot go back to work, you should not be going back to work. In open court or, you know, if someone rational is taking a look at it, absolutely. Right. But what we have to remember, John, is that until you bring a legal claim and you take it out of the insurance company's hands, then they have complete control over what decision is made. And so, you know, your doctor's opinion, although it ought to trump, although it ought to be the thing that is relied on most heavily, it's often not. The insurance companies can make whatever decision they want. And until you hold their feet to the fire, then they can, you know, make their decisions and there's no consequence to them until you bring the legal claim. Right. That's when it really matters. So if you try to return to work and you fail, can you? How do you go back on LTD? Well, every policy, almost every policy I've seen anyway, has a provision written in that encourages you to attempt to return to work and has language that suggests that if you try and return to work and you're not successful, you're still entitled to continue to receive your benefits. Now, more often than not, they're still going to use the fact that you attempted to return to work against you and suggest that you are actually, in fact, able to return to work despite your unsuccessful attempt. But... The reason it's important that it's in your policy um, that you're entitled to make an attempt is because it gives you a basis to bring a legal claim if they cut you off down the road. So as long as you can you know, su- medically support the fact that you cannot work at this point in time that you've tried and you weren't successful and your doctor says, no, this is completely reasonable, you know, they've made an attempt and are not able to return to work, no. then the policy gives you a legal basis to challenge their decision. 
and that's in virtually every policy I've seen, there is a provision that will allow you to attempt to return to work without precluding your ability to continue receiving benefits down the road. You have any other questions? The number is simple, one 990 9646 Email is help at We'll get to more of your emails after a, a tiny break here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 990 is the number. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to get a hold of Savannah or James any other time, use that email or use that number as well. Steve writes in, says, uh, I've been on LTD for three years now, and the insurance company wants to cut me off because they say uh, they have surveillance on me showing that I went shopping and picking up my kids. I have severe depression and anxiety. I don't know what to do. I won't get any more money from my insurance company after May 15th. So Steve's email brings up a lot of issues that are worth talking about. The first thing I want to point out is that Steve hasn't been cut off yet, Mm. but he's been told by his insurer that they are cutting him off as of May 15th. And just so our listeners understand, if your insurance company has made a decision and told you that as of a particular date they are cutting you off, you can start a legal claim. You don't have to wait. So Steve doesn't have to wait until May 15th to contact us, and we don't have to wait until May 15th to bring a legal claim. Uh, That can be done now. You don't have to wait on that. The other issues, and I think probably the more significant issues, are relating to surveillance. And this is quite similar to what we talked, uh, talked about at the top of the show when we were talking about social media and Facebook and how that, that can be perceived. So surveillance um, you know, is similar in, in the, to the extent that it's showing particular moments, um, and especially you know, for someone who has anxiety or depression, it's really only showing them when they're leaving their house. And yeah, they're with their kids, so you know they're doing you know they're doing pick up and drop off and doing shopping, and there may be even some moments where they're smiling. But so what? That Maybe does that's it, good for them. Exactly. You know, I almost uh, I can almost guarantee you um, that Steve's doctor has told him get out, yeah. do things. You know, do your day to day errands as much as you can. Spend time with your family. These are things that people who are suffering from you know significant emotional issues are routinely told by their doctors to do. And, you know, I'm not saying that to give medical advice. I'm certainly not qualified to do that. But having done many of these claims, that's what we see time and time again. So I'd be pretty surprised if Steve's doctors hadn't told him something similar as well. So surveillance is particularly um, dangerous for insurance companies to use. They, you know, will typically do it and believe that it's infallible. Um, Even if they don't get anything, they think that there's no risk. But that's really only true if they're dealing with someone who really has no experience um, in uh, in trying cases and in using surveillance against the insurance company. Because think about it this way. When a case goes to court and is tried by a jury, a jury is going to hear that this insurance company hired an investigator to follow around, you know, this person that had a claim and to take video of them and, you know, sometimes uh, photographs and speak with people that they know. They're really intruding on people's lives in a way that juries don't like. And so if they are going to conduct surveillance, they better be really sure that they get something that is more than just a little bit damaging. And I think something to the extent of, oh, well, this person went out and went shopping. I don't know anybody who's going to hear that and really be shocked that someone with anxiety or depression left their house to go shopping or pick up their kids. I mean, who's kidding who? Unless, you know, they really, I don't even know what the surveillance could get unless they're showing him going out, you know, to clubs every night or, you know, going on, you know, luxurious vacations or something like that. 
But showing the day-to-day life that someone is trying to lead when they're suffering from anxiety and depression gets you nowhere. And the fact that they've done it, the fact that they're going to have to acknowledge that they've done it, that they've tried to undermine someone who is significantly suffering from emotional issues, that really works against them. I was going to say it might be more damaging than helpful. It really works against them. And so, you know, people understand that snapshots don't necessarily give you a full picture. And they certainly appreciate that, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's quite unsavory for insurance companies to be, you know, interfering with people's lives in that way. And, you know, it also can have a very real effect on people's lives. It's not the, it's not typically the case, but, you know, there are two situations that I'm thinking of where surveillance has had a very damaging effect on the person who brought the claim. In one situation, I had a client who uh, had delusions that he was being persecuted, that people were out to get him, Mm -hmm. that there were people in his house. And the insurance company, his long-term disability insurer, hired an investigator to conduct surveillance of him, and he saw the investigator. Oh, great. He, he got wind of it. And, you know, he got really freaked out, which you would expect someone who has that kind of, you know, those kind of delusions to do. And he went and made a report to the police. Now, that was really bad for the insurer because they didn't warn the investigator that they had to be extra cautious not to be seen by my client, and they ought to have. They ought to have. They ought to have known that if my client, you know, got wind that he was being followed, that was just going to play into exactly what it was For that sure. was troubling. Exacerbate his problem, right? Exactly. And then I can think of another case. This is a case of Savon's, actually, uh, where uh, his client was shown surveillance, and it wasn't particularly damaging surveillance, but was shown surveillance, and um, you know, it was in the context of a mediation, and the. Uh, his client's uh, girlfriend at the time was there and got really freaked out by it. Understandably so. Yep. I mean, you know, a- as you would if you've just discovered that you're being followed, you know, for X number of days over the last several years. And that really led to the deterioration of that relationship. And that's just a shame. Um, you wow. know, that's really problematic. So, you know, surveillance isn't without cost for both sides, frankly. The number is one 9646 Get a hold of Savan or James or a member of the team anytime with that number. Email us help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll bounce over to more of your emails after a short break here on the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. one 9646 is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So, long-term disability. People email you for advice. When should they do it? Does it matter if they've been cut off, about to be cut off, in the middle of a cutoff? They should do it whenever they have a question. Yeah, it's right. as simple as that. No kidding. No, seriously. Yeah. Um, if you have any questions about your disability insurance uh, and you want to get some advice, give us a call. All consultations are free. If you do decide to retain us, we work on a contingency, and we can talk about how that works down the road. But what it means is that you know we don't get paid unless we successfully recover something for you. And I'm more than happy, I'm always more than happy to talk to anyone that's got questions about their disability insurance. And, you know, to be quite transparent here, the reason I'm happy to do that with anyone that has a question, whether or not I think they have a claim or not, um, is because I believe that if I talk to them and I give them good advice and I take the time to listen to someone who has questions, that if they need a lawyer down the road, I'm probably who they're going to call. So that's why I'm doing it. There's no, you know, small print or, you know, any ulterior motive other than I'm trying to show you that, you know, I'm someone who will be there if you have questions down the road. And if you have a claim, you can rely on me. So if you, you know, if you have any questions at all, whether you have applied yet or not, whether you've been cut off, whether you've been denied, 
give us a call for sure. Um, what this question might also be addressing, though, is whether or not um, claims can be brought before you've actually stopped receiving your benefits. I talked about that briefly a moment ago, just to be quite clear on this. You can bring a claim as soon as your insurance company has given you a decision about your benefits, even if that decision um, won't cut your benefits off until a date into the future. So I think we had a, an email in the last segment from Steve who was talking about his benefits being cut off on May 15th. Yep. We don't have to wait until then to bring a legal claim. We can do it now. Email, by the way, is help at the insurance lawyer.ca, the number one 888-990-9646. If you're wondering what the uh, pain and suffering component of your claim could be, should be, there's a calculator for that. In fact, it's called injurycalculator.ca. You want to have a look at that. Nick writes in, says, my brother was hit uh, by a car a few days ago. He's still in the hospital with pretty bad injuries, including a spine injury. The doctor said that he'll need an operation. The driver that hit him was charged. Our family devastated. He has two small kids and obviously won't be able to work for a while. He works in construction. What should he do? Can uh, can you come meet him with his family? Um, so, Nick, give us a call or have your, have your brother give us a call mm-hmm. if he's able to. Um, we are certainly able to help. Um, and, you know, just to answer that last part of your question uh, first, certainly uh, where we have... Uh, where we're contacted by someone who isn't able to come to us for whatever reason, mm-hmm. we can come to you if it's necessary. If you're, you know, in the hospital and you're not able to leave, um, we're, you know, certainly more than happy to visit you if required. Um, and you know, wherever you live, whether it's in Toronto, whether it's in Ottawa, or whether it's somewhere else in Ontario, uh, we can find a way to come to you if that's necessary. So don't worry about that part of it. Um, in terms of what we can do for your brother, Nick. When you're injured in a motor vehicle accident, as your brother has been, um, there are two legal avenues that you can go down. The first is going to be really important right now, and that's called accident benefits. No matter who is at fault for an accident, anybody who is injured in a car accident in Ontario has access through insurance to accident benefits. And this will provide up to $400 a week in income replacement benefits and up to $60,000 in attendant care and or medical and rehabilitation treatment. So that's really important, particularly right after an accident. Um, you know That will help immediately. That'll help bring some money in, obviously, while your brother isn't able to work. And even if your brother doesn't have his own automobile insurance, it doesn't matter. If you are injured in a car accident in Ontario, you are covered for sure. Everyone is covered. Even if you don't have insurance and the driver of both cars involved in the accident don't have insurance, mm-hmm. there is a fund set up by the government that ensures that everyone is covered. So this your brother will have access to. It doesn't matter who's at fault. The The second uh, legal avenue that your brother has available is, of course, bringing a legal claim against the at-fault driver. And so this is obviously a longer process. This can take you know a year, two, three years sometimes. And so that's why it's important to have the accident benefits claim ongoing so that there is money coming in while the legal claim is going ahead. But the legal claim is you know just a regular legal claim against the at-fault driver. And in that claim, you're able to also recover money for lost income. Again, I think I talked about this earlier in the show. You can't double recover. So to whatever extent your accident benefits pay you, the income replacement benefits is $400 a week. 
that you won't be able to recover again from the legal claim, but you will be able to recover anything that's over and above that $400 a week. And for a lot of people, that can be quite significant. You're also able to recover anything over and above that $60,000 that's available for your medical and rehabilitation treatment through accident benefits. Anything that you're going to incur over and above that, you can get through the legal claim. Um, and then there are other losses that you can recover for as well. Anything you're out of pocket for, um, if you have to pay for housekeeping you know, on right. a weekly basis because you can't do it anymore, if you got pension losses, all of those things you can bring through the legal claim against the at-fault driver. And I know you mentioned, I know this is not a, a, a show about insurance, but those are those are generally what you get covered. But you can pay for optional benefits to increase that 400 bucks a month, increase all your benefits. And you're, you're, some guys, sometimes Savannah says you're strongly advised to, you know, just increase it if you can. Absolutely. When you take a look at the cost of buying just a little bit right. more insurance for your accident benefits, it's usually quite small. It's you know, usually if you're willing to pay an extra 10% of your insurance per year, you can significantly increase the yeah. value of your benefits, often you know, by two or three times. Nice. And that can be really important. I mean, if you're making you know, forty or $50,000 a year and you have an income, income replacement benefit that pays you $400 a week, that works out to about $20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And if you got you know, a couple of kids and you got a mortgage to pay and you got to put food on the table, you know, the $400 a week probably isn't going to be enough. Um, and so if you have the ability to add to that, uh, to, to your insurance policies, you should do it. Yeah. You should do it. Take a look at the cost, obviously. Sure. I mean, it has to make sense. Uh, but you know, very often the, the cost of the additional coverage is pretty small. Done for another week. We'll uh, pick it up again Monday. In the meantime, you need to make a phone call, get a hold of James or Savan, member of the team. Simple, one 9646 is that number. Email us, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and we refer to it, and we'll continue to talk about it in the uh, weeks and years to come. That is the injury calculator. Find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be, injurycalculator.ca. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.